And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This is The Athletic Baseball Show on The Athletic Podcast Network. Your readings, and welcome to Starkville. Baseball Hall of Famer Jason Stark. And then the robot said, strike. That's why you're going in the Hall of Fame. It's an inside-the-park home run. Doug Gladwell. Mike Trott is coffee. At Starbucks with a double latte skinny. Doug, are you ready to make some podcast magic? I am ready. Bring on the magic wand. Let's do it. <laughs> Greetings and welcome to Starkville. Now part of the athletic baseball show where you'll find great baseball talk all week long and all season long. I'm Jason Stark. I write about baseball for The Athletic, and I am joined once again by my good friend, writer, broadcaster, professor, distinguished former major leaguer, and the vice of Sunday Night Baseball on ESPN Radio, Doug Glanville. So, Doug, as usual, you're joining us after another fun day of travel. Uh, You know, I was curious. You had a fun Chicago this weekend. And they had a monsoon there. Uh, like the Bears played a game where all 22 guys in the field were underwater. Then a baseball game at Wrigley went off a few hours later. It looked like just another normal night in the summer. How did that happen? Yeah. Uh, nothing like good scuba gear. Um, I, that's that's the key. Um, yeah, it was it was it was it was pretty bad. I know. I we you know we knew about the storm. We were thinking that it was not likely the game would get in. So I, I was in New York doing the Rays-Yankees, and it was a day game, so I flew out right then to get to Chicago just so I was there. And uh, woke up, i do my early breakfast thing down the street, and uh, it started pouring when I was walking back. And I actually had an umbrella, and pretty much from my thighs down through my shoes was completely soaked. It was like I jumped in a swimming pool on Michigan Avenue. I was like, what was the umbrella for? I think that actually made it worse. So, um, yeah, those sneakers right now are drying out back here. Um, it's going to take a, bo- a while, but try to put them in the dryer or something. I mean, it was crazy. But then all of a sudden, you know, game time right before, it was like just stopped. It kind of, I mean, it was a little black clouds, but it, it kind of cleared. So, I mean, it was total on, totally on time. And so uh, that was that was wild. Remind me of New Orleans and AAA. We had the dugout. I was sitting in the dugout, and I was, <clears throat> I was watching it go halfway up the wall. And pretty soon the benches, it was a swimming pool in the dugout, you know, and needless to say, that game was canceled. So, but we uh, tried to hang in there. But yeah, it was, it was pretty bad in Chicago. I know David Cohn flew in the same day and they told him, the announcement was like, you are the last flight from New York to Chicago. Wow. Because <laughs> uh, he just made it. So uh, we were getting ready like, okay, who's going to call the game if Coney can't get here? So wow. he pulled it off. Yep. You know, somebody, could be you, needs to invent an umbrella that goes from head to toe or head to shin or something, right? But, yeah, especially if you're above six feet. Yeah, it's a bad situation. Yeah, <laughs> it's, not, it's not made for you. Okay, enough about the weather. We have a fantastic show again this week. Joey Votto of the Reds 
the most interesting man in baseball, will join us. I want to ask him about these rule changes, uh, about what he's up to on social media and all sorts of fun stuff. But Doug, uh, I also want to ask him about the subject of last week's show, which was uh, analytics and the things that Joe Madden had to say about it all. And, you know, I don't know about you. I have never experienced the reaction to any show that we've done that even came close to approaching the response to that Joe Madden show. Um, it took it took until a weekend before I stopped hearing from like 10 baseball people a day reacting to Joe, uh, telling us that while he doesn't have a problem with analytics, he does have a problem with how some of these front offices are delivering the analytics uh, to the players, to the coaches, and obviously to the managers. So if you had missed this, um, let, let's hear a little excerpt again, and then we can talk about it. I mean, you have to be philosophically aligned. Uh, you have to be able to disagree. You have to be able to argue. Uh, and you have to be, as a manager, left alone uh, also uh, when the game begins. Because um, if, if people, if groups only want middle managers, I'm not going to fit anymore. I, I won't. And I get that. And that's, that's fine. I mean, there's nothing I could do about that. But if somebody wants somebody that actually manages and has an understanding of how a game runs and the ebb and flow of the game and has experience, then I'll be the person for that group. Um, so, again, I got to wait and see how this is uh, received. And I think that's going to give me direction moving forward. And I've been so passionate about this game for so many years. And to be sitting here right now and not even wanting to watch it on television, I'm trying to figure out what does that mean? I, I don't know about you, but most of the baseball people that I heard from uh, were mostly in Joe Madden's corner on this. Uh, definitely not everybody. Uh, some people in front offices, I would say they were kind of offended, not surprisingly, but, you know, I heard from managers, coaches, scouts, players, former players, all across the spectrum. Um, when we talked with Joe, I, I honestly wasn't sure how much of what he was telling us was his experience and how much of it was universal across the game. But a week later, after hearing from all these people, it's pretty clear to me he's not the only one who sees it how he sees it. I'm curious what happened in your corner. Yeah, I mean, well, you know, you think about this is a topic that comes up a lot and, and it has for a lot. years in some form. I think it's that moment the, the dam broke, right? It's like the insider who was just freshly in the managerial chair, um, you know, really kind of called out what he believed to be uh, the, the game going in the wrong direction and, and losing him as a fan or at least maybe temporarily. Yeah. I think that that's a different um, different animal. And when you have someone who won the World Series, was successful many years, and did beat to his own drum, no, no question about it. I mean, remember, I interviewed for the Rays job after Joe Madden left. And, um, you know, the Rays were great. And, you know, they got Kevin Cash, an incredible manager. But there, there definitely was concern in that whole dialogue around how they're going to move forward off of Joe Madden, who had, you know, a different style. And, and there's no question that there's, there was an interest in communication between the front office and the manager, or at least better or direct. And how hands-on, you know, that's a big question. And, and so you can see how, yes, the game is, you know, a lot of players, former players, you know, David Ross is of the world. There's an apprenticeship that happens now that's very different. Uh, you see, you know, they say, okay, this guy is a player, former player at the right age, good with the media and so on, can manage people. But 
now we're going to put him in an apprenticeship to kind of get him accustomed to our methodology, our approaches. So you have a lot more of that than like, oh, I'm going to come up through the minors and coach in A ball and coach in the manager in, in winter ball and so on, where you get this organic instinct as a manager to be able to make your own decisions and develop and so on. And Madden is from that school. So, you know, it's it's the pendulum swing. And we kind of were wondering when that pushback will come in this kind of form. So I found that people have brought this up and I've sent it to a ton of people, all the games that I've been to, I, you know, whether it's Tony Gwynn Jr. And, you know, I just, and, you know, the feedback has been, there's been a, the quiet part has been said out loud kind of feeling. And, um, and not to say that everybody agreed a hundred percent, but it's just like, it's a very important conversation about where we're trying to go with this. I think you have to have this conversation. And, uh, you know, look, I, I have a student who I taught at Penn in the School of Communication a few years ago, who's now uh, part of the Mets front uh, organization on the analytics side. He does Major League Baseball strategies. This is a great kid, and he cares about not only the numbers and the, that fascination, but he cares about the social impact. So I, I do think if he's an indicator of where the young people in this game can take it, then I am hopeful that they'll find a better balance and, and find a way to make the, the humanity still stand out. Uh, I, you know, this isn't the last conversation on it. And, uh, and I do think the, the game will continue to try to adapt. And that's what I found from the feedback and in talking to people. They really care about this and they want the game to, you know, retain a, a certain soul to it. And, uh, and I think because generally people feel strongly about that, I think they will. It's just going to be a lot of growing pains in that process. Yeah. Now, you're exactly right. Joe started a conversation. He started a big debate. It's what he set out to do. It's why he talked to us. It's why he said what he said. He thinks it's important to have that debate. Um, now, I would say that the part that people in the game were most unhappy with was when he used the term, this is a quote now, real baseball people, unquote, to describe a lot of longtime scouts and coaches, people like that, who have been pushed out of the game in the last few years. And I understand what he was saying, uh, but I also think most likely if he had a chance to rephrase that part of this, he would. Because look, uh, he knows that Perry Manassian, his general manager with the Angels, has spent his whole life in baseball. So he, he wouldn't want to imply that someone like Perry isn't a real baseball person. Uh, that's something I don't think he intended. Uh, Perry joined our show a couple of months ago and listened to him tell his tales. He spent his whole life in baseball. Um, I talked to lots of people in modern front offices whose background was not former player or coach. Uh, let me attest, they love baseball. They care about baseball 24-7. They absolutely are real baseball people. So again, I don't think Joe meant to imply that. I know what he was trying to say. But Doug, I'm curious, what was your reaction to that part? Yeah, you know, well, there's two parts to it. One one of which is this isn't, and I think I said this in the podcast, like this isn't just a baseball problem. You know, this isn't just a baseball challenge in terms of trying to figure out efficiencies and, and money management and all the things that make a business successful and balancing that with like how you're you know going to have humanity at the center of it right um, you know these algorithms and the the mechanics of it uh, 
sometimes show really great ingenuity. Like, here's one way I appreciate it. You know, yeah, I want, you know, when I interviewed the Rays and I saw Eric Neander, uh, maybe a year later, I asked him about signing Kevin Kiermeyer, and he said, never will a player like Kevin Kiermeyer and his defense be underappreciated again. Like, I appreciate that, right? I think, and, and look, and if you go down, and something I wrote about a couple of years ago for ESPN.com about addressing inequities, right? Social inequity, racial inequity. I say, well, we have all these talented people. Why can't we point this uh, these resources towards way to make uh, existence for everyone fair, more fair? Like th- those are good tools. When you know when Citigroup did that giant study on discrimination in banking, that data was important because they had the tools and the people on the ground to actually measure it. Okay, so, so there is no question those are important, but how you contextualize them, how you apply them, and I think in Joe's case was saying how you put them in day to day, like literally day to day, I think that's the challenge. And, and so, yeah, like I mentioned my student at Penn, this guy loves baseball. You know, I would never not say he wasn't a real baseball fan, uh, but I know that he has a job to do. And when you're, you know, you're sitting there in the room trying to figure out, is it right to put Pete Alonzo in? in this situation, which usually is the answer is yes. Um, well, yeah, you have to do your diligence and, and make sure the manager has has the room to apply it. And the question is how much room? And, you know, I've seen Buck Showalter all season, all the Mets games, and he's like, yeah, I have to synthesize all this data, but I got to figure out what to, what to kind of keep and what to sort of use, or more so what I should use in the moment. And that there's nothing exact about that. And you just don't want to lose the fact that Yes, you're trying to minimize risk all the time, right? In these numbers, we're trying to minimize risk. But we also forget that some of the greatest inspirations is because someone took risk. <laughs> that's actually the point, it, you know? And so how do you, you know, that's where you feel like, oh, wow, that's really inspiring. We love the story of the underdog, the story of someone, the low percentage play that actually turns out magical. Like why did Travis Ishikawa hit or in that situation or whatever, right? So... I think you got to balance it. I, and I do think the pendulum will, will keep swinging. And, um, but yeah, we have to make sure that we are good stewards of the game. And, and part of it is having these conversations. Uh, boy, no doubt about it. Y- you know, I'm glad you keep bringing up your job interview, your managerial job interview with the Rays, because I, I think many of the people who weren't happy with with the way Joe said some of the stuff he said are also the people who hire managers. And that could make it challenging for Joe to get another managing job, at least with those teams. But I also think Joe delivered his message to reach people in authority who were inclined to agree with him that some of this has gone too far. Like you mentioned Buck Showalter. Um, I mean, my impression is that the Mets, who, I mean, they're pretty data-driven right now, uh, they do this the way Joe described how he would like to do it, that Buck and the coaches are the ones who communicate the information, and they communicate it in different ways to different people because that's how it's done. So we know there are teams who think that way. Uh, maybe there are enough of those teams that somebody this makes somebody more interested in hiring Joe. 
Uh, I, I don't know the answer. Uh, Joe has a lot to offer. I would certainly hope he's not done managing baseball teams. Um, but look, we're not done with this. Uh, as he told us, his book, The Book of Joe, uh, written with Tom Verducci, will be out next month. So one thing I know, I guarantee we have not heard the last of this debate. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big juicy investment. That's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. Uh, hey, Doug, it isn't every week we get to talk to the most interesting man in baseball, but we're going to do that this week because Joey Votto has stopped by Starkfield to visit us. Joey, thank you so much for joining us. How are you? I'm good. Um, that introduction's not even close to the truth. So bad, bad start, guys. Really bad. All right. So you, you now have a chance to disprove that you're interesting. What could yeah. go wrong? Uh, that could be interesting, and then that would be wrong. That would be against what I assume that I'll probably end up doing on this show. Then we'd be all mixed up, huh? Yeah. Uh, all right, look, I guess we better start with your health. Uh, turns out you were playing through a torn rotator cuff, which seems hard to me. Uh, so then after you had surgery, that was a few weeks ago, you tweeted, I didn't know I was hurt. I thought I just stunk. So tell the truth. How serious were you being there? Uh, I was uh, like, that was not terribly long after the surgery. So I was in an anesthesia fog. <laughs> and I, um, how, so the, the surgery wasn't just rotator cuff. I had a torn bicep. And, um, as far as like playing through a rotator cuff injury, I tore my rotator cuff in 2015 and I remember playing through it for, um, about two or three months where it was like, like, I felt like I had to work my strength back and work my mobility back. And, you know, as, as a lot of players out there know, all sports, you have to get through some things and hope for the best. And you don't want to miss opportunities of, you know, uh, making the lineup um playing through some things and um so it ended up passing and it was fine and it wasn't until this year that uh i started experiencing some pain sometime in june july more like june and um i just really had a rough time with it and it ended up being the real problem was i had a something wrong with my hands for sure for sure a sprain maybe a tear and then um and then the torn bicep was the real pain, pain, wow. uh, and you know, when you, when you're uh, a right-handed thrower and a left-handed hitter, you can get away with some things on your left, on your left arm, which I have in the past. And I just kept moving forward because I thought, 
you know, this will pass, this will get better. And I don't need it as much. I'm not as dependent as my right on my right arm. So the bicep was the real issue and the real cause of the real prompt uh, to getting the surgery. So um, they didn't um, find the bicep tear until they were inside. You know, when we had the MRI done, I complained of not being able to sleep well, and I had a hard time holding the bat, and I had a hard time running, and it was just bothering me in a lot of different uh, natural baseball movements. And uh, they said, all right, it makes sense. Rotator cuffs cause pain, and sometimes they get to a point where you just got to move on from the – they just don't get better. And we decided, okay, I'll have the surgery. And I thought, man, you've played through rotator cuffs for a little bit. You're fine. Like it'll get better, you know, move forward with it. And I just couldn't, it never got better and I didn't play well. And frankly, if I was playing well, I would have continued moving forward, but because it was affecting my poor performance, we had to have the conversation. We elected to start the rotator cuff uh, repair and rehab process. And while they were inside, long story short, what I'm getting the point of the story is while they were inside, they saw that it was like a mess. It was like, if anybody's cut rope before and kind of pulled it apart, they said, that's what my tendon looked like. It looked like, and that was the pain driver. That was most of the pain cause and, uh, had a tendinesis, had a rotator cuff repair. And now I'm in the middle of the slow process of recovering from a uh, bicep and shoulder repair and um something like six to 12 months it takes a long time to get your range of motion back to get your strength mm. back healing takes about 10 weeks i was told and uh, hey i'm almost done one more thing <laughs> i hope to be back for opening day next year yes yeah so. okay well, look i know you ended up your season going oh for your last 22 which is not very joey vado like but if it makes you feel better when Glanville was your age, he was O for his last five years. So yeah, basically, <laughs> no, uh, I'm sure that I'm sure Doug for, has forgotten like the the in in uh, in real time experience. You know, <clears throat> you know, it 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 affects all of your life. Like when you're in the middle of like a lot of people don't under understand, and we're athletes, of course, but when they say um when they say athletes experience two deaths their own death and the end of their career you know when you're going through those stretches and people keep telling you it's over you're like fighting for your life in a way and I, i've never been in a position where i'm about to die or anything like that so obviously it's i don't have that experience but it it hurts you to your core because it's all you've ever known it's your a strong part of your identity um and you dedicate every ounce of of the ones that i'm familiar with the athletes i'm familiar with dedicate all of their life everything is built around uh performance and so when you struggle you think uh, you fight the uh, am i am i like less of a person am i not quite the person i was before and so there can be a, a like a version of a grieving process when you're when you're in the middle of that and it's humbling, uh, maybe not humbling is the right word, but it's it's painful. And there's the only escape you lean to in the past was per performance and sport. And if that's failing you, then you've got nothing else to fall back on. You know, you better have a good social social circle. And oftentimes, 
that can be a struggle for some players just because they're so dedicated to their career. So, um, you know, it's, I, I am happy that I had this injury in a way because I was struggling so mightily, you know, I had such a strong year last year and I just assumed that I was going to repeat that or better. And the, from the very beginning of the season, it was a struggle. I fought back hard and then I started experiencing some like real pain. And then like, I really, I couldn't, I couldn't fight back. I was like, as poorly as I started, I just assumed I, I was going to fight back and have a strong finish to the season and then really be in the drive, driver's seat as far as career decisions long-term. So yeah, it was a, it was an awful experience, but yeah, I mean, I can't wait yeah. for the challenge. Well, Joe, yeah, just to, uh, put some context. I had a couple of big like 0 for 18 somewhere in there. Not a whole lot, thankfully. And I often stopped the game after I got a hit. And they always were confused. I'd call timeout, timeout, and uh, get the ball. They throw it off the field, and then everybody was confused. Like BJ Saroff was like, "What? What was that for? Is that your 500th hit?" I said, "No, no, I just got a hit." Oh yeah. Uh, it's been it's been a couple weeks. <laughs> um, I got a hit off Jason Marquis at, at a night game at Turner Field where I couldn't see. I hit. I got a hit off Chris Benson, who I couldn't touch, and I just stopped the game. Yeah. So you know, sometimes that you know just commemorate that memory of like, yeah, I I, I got past this, you know. So it helped me. If that helps you, that's good. I I I'm kind of the opposite school. If if I get a hit and 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 I I know I've been struggling for a little bit. Like if anybody even acknowledges it, like my my I, maybe it's my ego or unhealthy pride, but if I get it acknowledged, it bothers me. I don't, my goal is to like, just be so steady and to just continue to perform that if like, I don't even want to play if, if, if I, I don't know, it's hard to explain the, the feeling of, of like, it would, it would enrage me if somebody acknowledged, Hey, you haven't gotten a hit in a bit, like, like, or person, you know, keep, you know, so. Yeah, but I get it. I've definitely seen that before, and and it gives me a chuckle when I see guys do that for sure. Yeah, Miguel Cabrera did it not long, That's not right. long ago. It was like last year, I think. <laughs> so. All right, hey, let's ease into some other stuff now. Um, Joey, you're so entertaining on social media, and I know you're a recent entrant into the world of Twitter and Instagram and even TikTok. What what, what took you so long, and what's your favorite part of being? a social media cult hero. I kind of don't like it that much. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, first of all, I think at times it can be a distraction, like a real distraction. I'm actually kind of low key tempted not to do it next year. Um, just because to do, you know, how you, I love the saying, how you do anything is how you do everything. And if I'm going to do social media, I'm going to try to do it well, but doing, I've only got so many energy units to give out. <laughs> you know, I've only got so much time. I've only got so much like, cause it takes time to recover from games and prepare for the next game. But there is that, you know, because you're on a public platform, if you send something out, you're like, how did it get received? Or should I acknowledge it? Or, you know, cause you're putting yourself out there. So I don't know if I have the, gas the stamina the even the desire at times to to engage in a meaningful way while i'm competing you know i'm i'm here's what i'll say earlier in my career i had more gas in my tank 
I could I could compete and then do other things off the field and then know that I'm going to perform well on the field again the next day. But as I get older, it's like I use more gas per day. And so I have less gas in the tank in between games to be able to do things. And so I feel like social media burns some of that fuel. Um, and for those with, you know, electric vehicles out there, use some of the battery. You know, I, I feel like I run out of battery, but um, I, I, I'm fine with it. I feel like I'm, I at times enjoy it, but, you know, I don't want to be on stage. And really, I can't truly be myself on there. If we're honest, if we're honest, like the way I talk to some of my friends is outrageous, but they're my friends, you know, in a in a good way, in a healthy way. But I would never share that with people because, you know, I I just I just don't feel safe doing that. You know, I don't feel like context is included, you know, in that here. <laughs> so, um, you know, I just I just um, I don't know if I'll continue doing it. All I really care about at this point in my life is performance, performing well, getting back healthy and getting back to performing well. And then getting back into a position of power in terms of decision-making in my career, because there's nothing more frustrating than being a strong performer. And then somebody being like, sorry, you're it's over. Give me that Jersey sort of thing, you know? So I don't read anything from my social media. I actually found that joining social media has kept me off social media. <laughs> we, right. we understand, you know, like I post it. My rule is like, uh, post and walk away and then not check and then maybe check a little bit later. But because I actually find that frustrate or stressful, I just post and walk away uh, until somebody else brings it up, which is good because again, like then I get to focus on the things that, but it's in the background. You sense it in the background. And I think of myself as a relatively sensitive person. So I feel the heat I don't want to feel that. I want to focus on work. So. <laughs> right. Yeah, I have four kids, so it's uh, teenagers, and I'm like, yep, they feel the heat. If that phone is even in the room, yeah, it's like, it's 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 deep, man. Yeah, it's deep. Yeah. <laughs> hey, we were so excited to have you on this show for many reasons. Uh, one of them is, baseball just announced a bunch of rule changes. Um, you're so insightful in the way that you think about the game. We'd love to ask you about some of these rule changes, maybe go one at a time and hear how you think they will change life in the sport. And I'd like to start with shifts. They're banning shifts. And so I looked it up. You've been shifted on in 86% of your plate appearances this season. Um, you've only had 51 plate appearances all season with no shift. Um, so how excited are you about all those at-bats that you're about to get with no third baseman hanging out in right field. You know, I'm not sure if who I spoke to on the subject about pulling the ball and attempting to hit the ball the other way. And it was someone from ESPN. It was a larger article and myself and Gallo were quoted on it. And I'm, I think I mistakenly said that it's hard to just hit the ball the other way. And I haven't had that issue in my career, but sometimes when I attempt to do things, it can be difficult to change on the fly. It's just the nature of, it's just the nature of our, uh, some of the player's skill sets. Like once you build a style, you just kind of 
you just kind of attempt to re- you attempt to repeat that style over and over and over. And when the league or defense, or, or excuse me, when the league asks you to change, it can be difficult to just change on a dime. And so I said, well, um, I said something about opportunity costs and you know, if you're grooving your swing, basically if you're grooving your swing a particular way and you're getting results and high end success out of it, it's hard to attempt to like just hit the ball the other way. I was mainly talking about hitting the ball hard on the pull side. And I think I was wrong because I do think that hitters are malleable. I think that hitters can, can create a style a kind of on the fly and that's what makes them makes the good ones good in this league they can adapt to the challenges so i think hitting the ball the other way and hitting the ball to counter the shift i think is an important skill i think it's an important skill to have for the good hitters for all major league hitters but especially those that want to perform well the left-handed hitters and we're even seeing it a lot for right-handed hitters um you asked me the question about how it'll affect me you know um, I'm realizing that to, to be successful as a hitter, I have to hit the ball the other way. And I'm learning that through failure. Uh, earlier in the season, I was trying to pull the ball a lot. A lot. I switched my bat. I started using a knob bat uh, that a lot of the hitters are using these days. I tried to practice all my work down the right field line. I was basically gunning for 50 home runs because I was like, all right, I hit 36 last year in 129 games. Well, if I just pull a few more left-handed pitchers on their, you know, if I time their left, the left-handed fastball and I just pull them, I should get to 50. This is going to be easy, but it's actually, it's like a, a trick mirror for me. I pull the ball when I master hitting the ball the other way. So next year, that's going to be my target. Like the first thing I start doing is I'm going to just focus. And I, I read articles on David Ortiz late in his career. I read he changed. Uh, I read a, um, uh, uh, an anecdote or, or, or a story he shared um, where Dustin Pedroia basically grabbed him by the scruff and said, if you don't hit the ball the other way, I'm going to beat the out of you, you know, sort of thing. <laughs> and it's like, you know, I don't have anyone on that on my my team. I, you know, it's nice to play with veterans for that reason, which is another subject we can go into. But I wish that I I, I have to do that to myself now. Hey, dude enough of this hit the ball the other way and then you get the pulled balls it's a very tricky thing because you think it's very counterintuitive anyways long story short i um i think the shift is a genuine challenge for certain hitter hitter styles and i think that next year but you know it's it's the sort of thing where we get uh rewarded based on relative competition you know they use the word or the the statistic wins over replacement or or we're we're competing uh using weighted measurements so it really doesn't matter if i get a few more hits because everybody else will get a few more hits so it's like does the shift matter no it doesn't matter at all because to me it's my responsibility to counter it because all my competition my peers the people i'm i'm you know competing for contracts or or, or future jobs they have to counter it also so does it ma- does it matter no well, i actually it, like it made me a better hitter to be honest with you yeah, well i'm really glad that you brought this up uh raul abanez said something at the press conference last friday that i've been thinking about he said that it's it's baseball's hope that limiting the shift 
will change hitters approach. Um, ground balls are going to be hits again, right? And uh, they think maybe hitters will then decide they don't have to try to lift every ball over all those infielders. And maybe they'll go back to trying to hit more line drives and hard ground balls. So do you think that will happen? What will the cause and effect be? Well, the one thing I noticed when I came up was how, how, so I felt like uh, command was a priority. Deception was a priority. Sink, cut, run, uh, you know, in, in, out of the strike zone, out into the strike zone. I felt like though that was the language that was uh, much more common when I first came up. And now the style is very powerful. Spin, velocity, strikeout, uh, a hard break, maximizing the break on your, on your breaking pitches, swings and misses. This is the language that I feel like is much more common now. You get paid based on strikeouts. You get paid based on decreasing walks, limiting contact. And so the hitters, it's it's really hard to match. You know, I, in the minor leagues, we used to play pepper, um, concentration, a, a focus on contact, spread the ball out, hit the ball on the ground. If you've got someone like just firing like a hundred mile an hour fastballs in there. It's really hard to not match power with power. Um, and so I feel at times that it'll be probably a hybrid version of t- today's game where there is a real emphasis on, 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 you know, s- smashing the ball. But I do think we'll see a decrease in strikeouts. I do think we'll see a de- decrease in walks. I think we'll see more balls in play, but I, we're already seeing that. So I just think that the skill will continue to evolve. Guys will just get better. We're already seeing them get better. Um, and then when you get that, when you get that uh, base hit through a hole, and you see a base hit go up the middle on a ground ball, you hitters will probably shift their style to you know what I may gear down one, and know that if I if I hit the ball well, there's probably a hit out there for me. So what you're describing earlier may be a reality, but it's always going to be countered, I feel like. And we'll see if pitchers change. You know, we'll see if pitching styles change. So I can't answer that question. I'm just going off of what it's like to face today's pitchers. And you just you have to answer power with power. You know, the very best hitters in the game. And this is who we walk through, you know, through the metal detectors for and, and, and buy, t- you know, buy, a, you know, bring our little QR code tickets for they're powerful. I, we don't have any Tony Gwynn's. We don't have any, you know, we've got very few guys that appeal to the crowd with, with high contact, hit the hole, look at that skill. Um, most of our guys, our big name guys are about to break, you know, a, a version of a home run record. They're going to, you know, pitch and hit. They're going to, you know, play the outfield for the Atlanta Braves. They're going to, you know, play center field for the Anaheim Angels. And these are all 600 slug guys. These are all big, powerful guys. I I can't think of very many guys that don't do powerful things with the bat um, that are stars nowadays. Well, Joe, you know, within that, you mentioned relativity. Uh, Do you ever, you know, have in your mind about, 
kind of what it should look like like what what is that best version of that dynamic you know the, that relationship between shifting and these rules because you know yes you are competing against each other relatively but you're also there's an absolute about like you know sort of a pure form of the game do you, do you ever think about what that is or what it could be I mean, is shifting, is it just bad for the game in general? Or, you know, what's your, what's your global thought on that? You know, it's fun cheering for a hit. You know, oftentimes we don't put music immediately after contact. You know, you make contact and there isn't some sort of like, I'm walking, you know, like it happens immediately after a tough walk at bat. And there's a, I don't know if there's a like, wow, like a, a crowd surge, a, a moment where there's excitement post-walk. Uh, there's a groan after a hit by pitch, but people don't understand. Oh, that's really good. That's just a tear under a hit. You know, that reaction doesn't occur. Um, but there's a loud cheer after a, a ground ball or, you know, sliding RBI moment or a sack fly moment. So we have to respect the fan and, and sure teams. Listen, the best teams are the ones that get on base the most offensively. There's no question about that. And good offenses win championships, you know, or at least make it to the playoffs. So we have to respect that. And those come with lots and lots of walks. I mean, the Yankees were the perfect example in the nineties. I, I, if I'm not mistaken, they were a really strong, consistent, tough out team. And now it's much more common for, for teams to chase those players, but you know, hits are fun. Hits are fun, you know, and seeing a player, you know, slide into second base after a wrap double or or ground ball down the line and there's a bang bang play at third base. This is a byproduct of balls and play. And so to me, I watch, you know, I really like in I like in uh the home runs, walks, and strikeouts to the three-point surge in basketball, where it felt like every game we gotta watch, you know, a kick out to a corner three. <laughs> and well, free, but really, if you if you watch the finals and the the Warriors are an all time great three point shooting team, but their style of play was so beautiful cuts cuts the basket finishes around the basket the occasional post play it looked like the three point was was complementing the their beautiful style and I feel like that's that's what the best teams now the Braves the uh, uh, the uh, the Los Angeles Dodgers, I feel like those those are the teams that are just so appealing to watch because you get to watch a shortstop hit 300. You get to watch Mookie Betts, who's like a gem to watch, hit home runs, hit balls in the gap. make Like to me, balls in play are a good thing. You get to show the athleticism of the defenders off and the crowd gets to cheer immediately after a hit. A hit is you know, quite a, 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 a pretty, um, what's the word? It, 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 it transcends all languages. You know, everyone understands a hit. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I, one example I mentioned from time to time is I was watching a Denver Nuggets game mm. and they had a, they had like a three on one with time running out and they were down by two. I know. And, and they, pat, you know, where it's going <laughs> and they, they doubled Murray. I think uh, the one guy kind of came from behind so Murray threw a cross court to the corner three. The guy kind of bobbled it. And instead of driving to tie the game, he backed up to the three-point line and shot and missed in the game. And they lost by two. Uh, so I, that's that's the first thing that comes to mind. And like, 
when you prioritize something like the outcome so much, then like you said, well, the trade-off sometime of taking a lot of pitches or what, you might strike out more or whatever it is. Um, you know, I'm curious to, you know, think about like how does that example sort of tie to what you're saying? Like it, when you prioritize it so much, what do you think baseball loses? I don't know. I was guilty of it for a while. I mean, um, most of my career involved getting on base and I had a lot of detractors and I think with some distance, I get it, but, um, not to make this question about me, but I'll answer from my own experience. I, I did it. I did it because it was home runs and hits were, are really hard to get. And so my best version was kind of a hybrid getting on base, getting some hits, making the best of every at bat. So that worked, that worked for me. That worked for me. Um, I think that there are some there because it's been a like a league wide trend. Everybody's bought into the, getting deep and not everybody. I don't want to generalize, but the zeitgeist was take pitches and walks and strikeouts come with it and homers and and I think the you know in that situation that you're describing with the Denver Nuggets, I'm a basketball fan and I've been a basketball player since I was like eight, nine, eight, nine years old. I love the sports. My first love, the, the most, it's the th first thing I want to do once I'm done playing is start playing basketball again. And so um, in that situation, it's a three man weave in practice. It's a layup finish. It's a behind the back pass to a dunk. It's a, and it's just like, I remember playing uh practicing with with uh my team as a high school player if you took a three in that situation you the immediate bench immediate <laughs> and it's like when i first started playing baseball it was why are you taking so many pitches why are you taking that fringe pitch on the edge take a swing put the ball in play don't strike out looking and i don't think it's either answer but i do think I do think we're in, we're about to approach a really fun version of our sport where it's more athletic, where there's more balls in play, where we get to see the athleticism of certainly the infielders and the, the outfielders. I think it's, you know, we have a great sport and I think we're about to showcase it's it at its very best because it's probably been as athletic as it's ever been. But when Ronald Acuna is in right field, and the third baseman is standing right in front of him. Instead of seeing a diving play from him, it's a one hopper to the third baseman who throws out Freeman on a one twelve rocket. And he's like, right, well, and exactly. the fans are like, Ugh. instead of like some awesome play from Acuna and the interaction sort of thing. So I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I want to ask you about the pitch clock too. Basketball has the shot clock. Um, back before there was a shot clock. The great Dean Smith, Hall of Fame coach, his teams would get the lead and then they would stop playing. They'd just throw the ball around and go to that four corners thing. And in order to have a more entertaining game, a faster game, a better rhythm to a game, yeah. basketball went to a shot clock. And now baseball yeah. is going to a pitch clock. And, you know, you're actually one of the more deliberate hitters in the game um, between each pitch. In what way? I think you're about 18 and a half seconds per pitch now with no one on base. The clock's going to force you and everybody listen, to change listen. that, right? I, 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 uh, I, I promise you, I promise you, I'm only, I only take what's given to me. If, if we <laughs> set a 10 second clock, it doesn't move. It doesn't affect me at all. I will stand there. I, 
I can stand in the box and hit post swing and then get back. And the, the, I don't need the time. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> well, that'll be everybody. Everybody will have to do that. I was in so much pain every single at bat. I was like, oh my goodness. But no, um, finish your thoughts. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, it's okay. Um, well, I don't know that everybody is going to adjust so simply and so easily. Uh, you know, the hitter with no one on base has to be in the box, locked in on the pitcher, seven seconds after that clock starts to tick. How much impact do you think that will have on hitters? I don't think it I think in the in the short term, some. In the long term, it'll become second nature. So that's all we really all that right. matters. We have to improve the pace of the game. We have to improve the pace. I, I, so I go to, I used to go to Raptors games in Toronto, the team in Toronto, and I had season tickets and, you know, the go trains in the center of the city, excuse me, the train is in the center of the city. It's called the go train. And it takes you to whatever neighborhood you could take the TTC, which is the downtown Metro. And, you know, I, I, I would sit in my seat and I'd look up at the clock and it would be seven 30. And I knew, I knew that at 10 p.m. I was going to leave my seat. There's overtime. It may be 10, 15, but that's, that's, you know, that's, that's extra basketball. That's usually fun, a good reason to stay. But I knew that it finished in regulation, no matter the timeouts, no matter the score, no matter what, I was leaving at 10 o'clock, two and a half hours. They asked me to stay and be entertained and uh, for two and a half hours. And so that meant I could take a peek at the GOAT train schedule. I could take a peek at the TTC schedule and I needed to hustle a little bit to make this train or I could pace myself to make this, you know, Metro or whatever it was, depending on which direction I was going. You know, if you're a fan at home and you've got kids or you have school the next day, or if you have whatever it is, you don't know if our game's going to end at 9.45 or 11.45. And there's some charm to that, but if we're asking every single night, the fan at home, every single night to stay up till 1030, to stay up till 1045 on a standard issue, nine inning win, we're asking, uh, we're asking more than we asked of them 12 years ago. And it's changed substantially. So to me, as far as comfort, we're here to serve. We are fan, we are players here to serve. And I understand there has to be like, I do get, you have to respect the the respect the player and it's his process and respect um you know their players need a, a tempo but tempos can be adjusted you know we are capable we are capable to make this adjustment and still perform well and um <clears throat> so i love it I love that there's going to be a pitch clock. There will be some growing pains, no question about it. There will be some, there will be some, but we're watching, we're watching the pitchers walk off the field and have the umpires interact with them. They give up seven runs or they give up, they strike out the side on nine pitches. They still have to interact with the umpire. That's a new, that's a challenge to them, but they've adapted. They've accepted it. They can go in some, you know, la la land where they just basically make contact with the umpire. The same thing will happen with with the pitch clock and the fan benefits from it. The fan knows today's game is going to be done in two hours and 40 minutes. I think it's wonderful. I wish that it had been instituted throughout my career, to be honest with you, because I can't I feel like I've played an additional 50 games over the last years with how long these games have been. I mean, the change has been like significant. So. 
Yeah, no. Uh, so if you look at those, you know, a bunch of rules we're talking about, is there anything you think the league or the fans are missing? Like, like if you could circle something and say, you know what, this would make a better game. This would be a good move to make for this game to really be entertaining and sustainable. Uh, I love what they did with the baseball this year. I thought the home runs were getting out of hand. Um, so I'm happy they changed that. You know, I think my last check home runs were at like 1.07 per game, I think. And last year and the year before were somewhere around one three, one two five to one four, somewhere in that range. One yeah, we're back in the range of like 2015, 2016, as opposed to where we were. I think 16 was like one two. And then 2015 is probably more like close it, to 15. Yeah. But my understanding is there was a ball change mid to 2015. So like, right. I think we're starting to creep more towards like a, a nice place to be, but we also, we also with the shift change may see a dip down below one uh, with players deciding as opposed to attempting a home run, I'm going to take line drive shots because I'm going to go three for four today instead of one for four with a home run after three, you know, four home run attempts. What we, as we, as hitters, you know, we go where we go, where the, where we get fed. And so you're, I would guess we're going to see a home run dip again, which is fine, which is fine. I mean, the game will have more hits and we'll start seeing guys hit 350 and lots of guys hit, you know, 280 and above and then more hits and more balls in play. I think it's a great thing. So um, I, as far as changes, um, you know, I love the base. I love that they're changing the base and we haven't touched on that, but Anything to make the game more athletic, seeing guys, you know, seeing guys attempt stolen bases or attempt, attempt first to thirds. Um, I love it because I think that with each, with extra, you know, those few inches, all of a sudden you're choosing the faster guy as opposed to the, the home run guy sort of thing. And so I think that it's, I love the base. I've used the base on a rehab. And I think it's, uh, I think it's fun. I think it's fun. I don't know. I think I, they may have uh, instituted, excuse me, for safety reasons, but I think it's, I think it may make the game faster. So we'll see. Yeah. Well, you know, there's another element to the pitch clock rule. The part that says the pitcher can't throw to first or step off more than twice per plate appearance or that third time oh. it's a balk if the runner isn't out so hey yeah this is a this is well you probably saw this in, in your rehab option too but i mean this is the the rate of base stealing attempts in the minor leagues is almost three per game we haven't seen that in the big leagues in a hundred years so you could steal 40 bases next year man if you play this right you know um little little changes like this are the reason why i've got Maybe two, one, two, three years left. Maybe two years left. You know, I'm gonna get uh, slowed out of the game. So I'm, I'm, I'm happy to hand it off to the next group. <laughs> uh, you know, we had Joe Madden here last week. Uh, we had a long conversation about analytics, and let me try to characterize what he said. He said he loves information. He just thinks that managers and coaches should be the ones deciding how to present the information and not the the analytics guy coming down from upstairs. I'd love to hear your reaction to that because 
it's been incredible how much response we've had to the stuff that Joe Madden said. You know, I think every organization has a different approach to analytics. So his experience may be different than, than uh, certainly mine. I understand what he's saying. I have felt at times the game has um, become very um, rough, rough, like as far as less emphasis on, 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 on uh, like baseball technique, less emphasis on proper decision-making, base running, positioning. Um, we don't see hit and runs almost ever. Bunting technique is is not what it used to be. Um, and so, you know, an, analytics in some ways have has slowed down uh, stolen bases, proved them inefficient, um, has added to the walks and strikeouts, you know, proved putting a ball in player swing too often inefficient. And so the, they, they clearly knew what they were doing. I mean, but um, I do think there's, there's times where a player follows the general guideline and may be a better player and more helpful if he did it in, in, a, in, a, in his own way. You know, I played with Brandon Phillips for a long time and he um, played the game the best way he knew how and he was a very productive player. And he may not have been an analytics darling but I watched a player get the most out of himself. And I watched a player that would never have been motivated. Uh, I don't think he would have played uh, any better than, I don't think he would have played any better than he played during the course of his career. And, um, you know, that's, there are tons of examples out there of players that could be that. And there's certainly a lot of coaches out there that don't get to, to back to your question, there are a lot of coaches and managers out there that probably could could be a better version of themselves and help players if they weren't so tied uh, tied up with a lot of the um, analytics uh, with analytics approach approaches. So again, there's somebody smarter out there than than I to to say what's the most efficient way, and they're probably figuring it out. Um, there's some things that are just kind of a waste of time that that they've um, they've the, the analytics group have more or less punted on, and it's made sense. But um, I do think that some coaches and managers probably could could coach in a more in a better way. Yeah, it's a tough question for me to answer because frankly, I don't care. You know, I don't coach or manage, and no nobody's going to tell me what to do as a player. So I don't really hear from anybody. And, um, you know, so <laughs> I get to just play now I'm under a guaranteed contract. No trade. <laughs> I mean, what does this matter to me? <laughs> well, I was just, uh, recently in LA, we were talking to Dave Roberts, you know, manager. And, um, we, uh, we were asking about Freddie Freeman and apparently, Freddie and and this this definitely happens a lot. Like guys are on the iPad. You see them have their bats and then go right. And he apparently like cleaned house on this. It's like watch the game. So you know the synthesizing of data and in real time. 
do you do you see examples of forgetting what's actually out there in in the in the pasture? You know, I I I I, I haven't. So we we've got a cage in our in our clubhouse, and we had this same conversation collectively. Just be present for the game. And I liken it to like, if you go to a club, let's say you go to a salsa club and you spend all this time with a dance instructor and you're at home dancing with the YouTube videos and you're there and you like have the steps and you, you know, you're feeling it, excuse me, you're at home and you've, you're like, got it down. And, um, but then you go to a club and if you're thinking about all the steps or if you're checking your YouTube, you're not, feeling the energy you're not connected to the rhythm because the game has its own pulse has its own rhythm and if you don't spend time really watching the game you're not connected to that to the rhythm of the game and there's so many little things you can pick up you ask the average uh, season ticket holder they can tell me more about me than i could probably tell about me just because they're they're watching watching the game really watching the game and the iPad is usually just a TV. The, it's the at-home TV shot of strikes and balls and shows you you. But if you sit and watch, you start getting a feel for tendencies. You start connecting to the rhythm of the pitcher. If you're a pitcher, you start connecting to the rhythm of the hitters. Now, I used to look over at the uh, Phillies dugout uh when we played them when they were really really good and they had a lot of really good pitchers and i remember watching maddox when i played against him and i remember watching a lot of the 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 real great uh pitchers on their opposing teams but the phillies specifically i remember seeing like all of their starters just sitting there kershaw does this in la uh degrome does this in new york now i'm missing tons of names you know but i'm watching the phillies and i'm, wa- I'm seeing roy halliday Cole Hamels, I see a Roy Oswalt, I see Blanton, and Cliffley. You think Cliffley, and they just sit there, and I watch them and Chase Utley when he wasn't playing, and I just sit there and watch them watch the whole game. The late Roy Holiday would just sit there quietly and watch all nine innings, and I know for sure he was gathering intel on everybody. Maybe he saw a limp in a player. Can't catch that on a video. You can't see that on an iPad. Maybe he saw something in a change in a guy's stance that you see from the side that you do not see uh, on an iPad. And you have this same luxury as a hitter to watch the pitcher to see, oh, there's a dip in velocity. Or, oh, he doesn't look very comfortable. Oh, he likes that pitch. Or, oh, there's a relationship between him and that umpire. And he can sense that there's things expanding or things contracting. You can't catch that on an iPad. And if you don't watch every bit of the game, you miss out on that. There's a place for iPad. There's a place for gathering, you know, uh, info on your swing or or, or the pitcher you're facing. But uh, I feel like there's a lot of information to be gathered by watching the game in real time. So uh, kudos to the Dodgers and Freddie making making the game more, making the game more. You know, fans want to see us just play the game naturally. I don't. I can't speak for all fans, but I'm pretty confident <laughs> that if I was watching a basketball game, and I was over there watching, I was over there. I, you know, I'm sitting on the sidelines, and and Lord knows I've got courtside seats, and I'm sitting there watching, like the 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 Golden State Warriors always on their freaking iPads. I'd be like, <laughs> no, why aren't you cheering your guys on? There's a rhythm to that. There's a there's a collective 
you know, melding that happens with the team when you're like present, present, present for every single moment. You know, if you don't have enough by the time the game starts, if you don't have enough uh, scouting done, if you don't know, if you don't have a swing, if you don't have the skills to match your competition, you don't belong here. You know, Dusty Baker used to say, if you ain't got it by now, you ain't never going to get it. <laughs> absolutely right. He'd say that in August. He'd say that in July. He'd say that in Dusty bad uh that was a bad impression of you but um all love as you know yeah hey i'm really glad you brought this up one of my favorite things about clayton kershaw is how engrossed he is in every minute of every game and i've never heard anybody else talk about it so i'm I'm glad you noticed that and i I know we gotta let you go but i want to ask you about one more guy who it feels like that's him right now and that is albert Pujols. Uh, I, I know how much admiration you have for Albert. Let me ask you, he, he hits a home run every day, man. You know, he's slugging 800 over the last month. He's closing in on 700 home runs. Why would this guy retire? He, he you know why? And he's, first of all, he wants to, and he said he would. So yeah. that's the, that's the final answer. But, you know, I got to see him during what's probably a a small percentage of his prime. You know, I watched him on television. You know, I said the other day that uh, he was, I thought he was one of the best three right-handed hitters of all time. And I know I miss names. Mike Schmitz has probably better statistics than him. Um, But when I meant that, I meant he did everything hitters want to do. There's, there's two tiers to the, the best hitters. It's either, your, your Bonds, Williams, Ruth, where you get intentionally walked all the time just out of fear. And the next tier down is basically you do everything, average, home runs, you know, you drive in runs. And he was that guy for 10 years. He was like the perfect non-Bonds, Williams, Ruth batter for 10 years. He was Aaron. He was, you know, DiMaggio. He was all, all these great, great hitters that we, you know, that we love high batting average that's so desired by hitters for so long hitting for a high average was so desired he did it at at the very very best and so for a stretch there he was in anaheim uh and he had his he had you know he was putting in accumulating his statistics playing with heart for his organization that that signed him that showed him you know showed him love showed him appreciation but he wasn't the central focus of the league that he was for, for so long, for so, so long. And I, I, if he, if it is, this is his last year, I like what he's doing because like, finally, you know, I watched Chipper Jones, David Ortiz, Derek Jeter. I watched lots of great players have their final goodbye and the admiration they all received was justified but none of them were anywhere near, uh, maybe not anywhere. None of them were, were in Albert's class. I mean, Albert's inner circle. Albert's an all-time great. Albert has everything you could ask for as far as a player. Not, not only all the individual accolades, but several time over World Series champion. And no blips, uh, a, 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 a responsible philanthropic member of all of the communities he's been a part of. And really, he's he hasn't received the expected adulation and love that a typical 
uh, all-time great receives. And so I love that he's performing well during this stretch because people are reminded, you know, I've, I've got 300 and some homers. He's coming up on 700 home runs. <laughs> and, and I'm just in awe watching him finish up with such a flourish because people get to appreciate, you know what? We, Albert's one of the greatest players we've ever seen. And we get to see a version of that for him to finish at 42 years old. To me, you know, I'm going to broadcast in St. Louis uh, later this week. And I'll have the good fortune of being able to take in, you know, uh, a, a, a stretch of baseball, five games over the course of four days uh, with, with Albert Pools in St. Louis. And um, I'll be able to take in the appreciation first in first person. And, and, you know, I will just feel lucky that I got to see one of the greatest players of all time and someone that, that um, I viewed as not a peer because I'm not his peer. You know, his peers are, Will, you know, Willie Mays and Hank Aaron. And, um, you know, I, I can name other, other all-time greats, but someone that I actually learned, look, looked up to, someone I admired, and someone that <clears throat> made things possible. You know, that's, I think that's the testament to how great, how, uh, the, all the great players creating new norms. You know, we're seeing it, seeing it with Brady and in, um, in, in, in Tampa Bay, he's making things that were not possible, possible. And Albert was a, is a perfect example of that 22 seasons approaching 700 home runs, 42 years old, doing it respectfully. If you, if Albert can do it, you know, why can't you do it? You know? So I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to taking it in and, and, uh, you know, Albert, uh, Albert, you know, is, is, uh, someone I have great admiration for. So is there a lesson uh, for you in how Albert is doing his finale, um, you know, as you start to think about the end of your career, when you should go out, how you should go out, uh, like, should you go out when you're still great? Should you play as long as they'll let you play? Cause you love to play. Um, how are you processing all of that as you get into your upper thirties? You know, last year, last year was so easy in terms of performance that I thought I was going to play till I was 45. You know, I was like, oh, I'm going to play another like, seven years and I'm going to play well because this is so easy what I'm doing right now. And this year flattened me. Um, I had a bad start and I felt like I was working uphill and I was making progress uphill. So I can't say now, you know, I had a conversation with my mother and I said, you know, I think maybe two more years because I always want to be good when I play. But if I come back next year and I don't play well, then, then I have to fight for a job and then I have to, and it feels like the sort of finish that's kind of like, doesn't pair up well with how, how I've played throughout my career. I've been good. Basically the second I entered the league, all the way, save 2019, which was a funky year, uh, all the way up until uh, last year. And this is the first year that I was like, whoa, I'm, what on earth is going on? Like all the plans that I had made are, are, are like dashed in a way. All of the plans that I assumed that I expected to have a better year this year than last year. And 
So I really want to see how next year goes, but my only goal, you know, I, I don't, I, I'm happy like ending it and walking away and being like, you know, thanks. Um, thank you. But really all I want to do is just play well till the end of, till the time I'm done playing. Like I, I, the idea of holding on and accumulating statistics, like I'm never going to get to 500 home runs. I'm not going to get to 3000 hits. There's really no statistic that I'm, I'm close to that I need to continue to chase. That's not going to be an absolute slog of terrible performances over and over <laughs> a number. So <clears throat> I just want to be an efficient player. I want to be a playable player and to be healthy. Those are the two things I care about. And, you know, I, I'm not in that class of the Jeters and the, and, and the, uh, um, the Ortizes and the Pujolses where they're so tied to their community championships, big numbers. I'm not that player, but I want to be the type of player. That's just like, he was just good all the whole time sort of thing. And, uh, that's really my only goal. And that will leave me with a lot of satisfaction. And, and then at some point I'd like to be able to just, you know, walk away. I would guess, I would guess probably my best guess is probably two years. I would say two years. So. Well, I, I can tell you that you were great from start to finish in this podcast, if it means anything to you. <laughs> you're, you're way more interesting than you, you, you promised you'd be. I didn't promise it. You promised it. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I do, I, you're right. I promised failure. Utter, utter. <laughs> you delivered. You delivered well. Yeah, uh, you, you have you, a future in this. You have a future in this, Yeah, man. you definitely laid some doubt that you would not be interesting. But we just proved it. I have a buddy who's like a former <laughs> classmate of mine that we, he and I talk about um, doing a podcast together. And yeah. wow, we are not smart people. And <laughs> well read, we're not educated. <laughs> and um, he and I were talking about it the other day. And I said, so how much do you, how much do you expect as far as like uh, revenue? Like what's the, what are you gonna, and I'm going to bring a following and he's 50-50, 50-50. And I said, dude, you're bringing nobody. Nobody's <laughs> And he goes, he goes, yeah, but you're in or you're out. And, you know, my years of business school, you know, I, I was like, I guess I'm in, you know? So he, clearly, uh, clearly I've signed up for something that, um, you know, in, in the future, if, if I happen to do a podcast, uh, It'll probably be about complete nonsense, <laughs> and and, and I'll, we'll get paid substantially well and half of it. So, you know, so. Well, hey, there's a place for uh, complete nonsense. We devolve into that pretty regularly yes. right here. We, we appreciate it. Yeah, but if there's a Joey Vito <laughs> podcast, I will listen to that. I Just so you know, so you'll sure, have sure. Thing. I'll have one listener, two, at least two, two listeners, right? <laughs> For sure, well, it depends on it depends on like if we start. Uh, you know, I'm I, I, some of those podcasts out there. They talk about some wild, wild stuff. <laughs> you guys get into politics and stuff like that on that? No, 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 no. Not really. Social periodically, but yeah, I mean, I, I can see like a Vado's world. It'd be cool, like you know, basketball. You cover a lot of stuff, man. You interesting in that way. You have a lot of interest. You deep thinker. I think you could do some real fun stuff. Uh, I looked at my uh, high school report card the other day, and <laughs> I am not a deep thinker, <laughs> not a smart. Sure, that, those are just no, those are just grades. Though. We're talking about like you don't need the grades to prove your deep thought. I think you. 
Yeah. Gotta, I'd, I'd a, a hundred percent bring you in as a guest in my class, a hundred percent. Really? So if you ever want to do that, sure. Good. They'd have a lot to, to gain from you. It would be an honor. It would be an honor. Thanks for having me today. Hey, yeah, listen, thanks, it was awesome to have you, man. Uh, go spread some fun, get healthy. Can't wait to have you back. Uh, thanks for making time for us, Joey. Of course. Thanks, guys. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever, and that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. One more great product from LinkedIn. You're there to network, you're there to look for jobs, you're there to post jobs, and how about LinkedIn Sales Navigator? It's a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash baseball show. That is linkedin.com slash baseball show for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash baseball show and get started. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right, Doug, uh, we successfully dodged trivia on our Labor Day show last week, but apparently we're not allowed to avoid this stuff for more than one week. <laughs> so so here we go. Listener trivia is back. And here's some good news, Doug. Our guest this week has stumped us before. I know that excites you, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. And we needed to take a, a week off. We were on the IL, you know, just recovering. Oh. And uh, I think rehab went well, and I'm, I'm ready to go again. Yeah, back in the lineup. <laughs> okay. You know, it's not that exclusive a club of people who have stumped us before, <laughs> but nevertheless, we're impressed by anybody who does it. And this week, we're bringing back Adam Kane. So, Adam, thank you for joining us to torment us again. Thank you guys for having me back. Yeah, you are welcome. Adam, remind us where you located, who you were a fan of, how you got into this Starkville queue. Uh, so I'm, I'm in South Carolina right now. I grew up in North Carolina um, and grew up a Cubs fan by way of WGN. So um, Cubs are still my team. Right now it's maybe not as fun as it was a few years ago, but <laughs> I'm hopeful for the future. Yeah. Well, now, what part of North Carolina? I have a ton of family in North Carolina. Yeah, I grew up in the Charlotte area um, and then went to school in, in Raleigh, NC State. Oh, yeah, yeah. We, we, you know Cameron Park? Oh, yeah. Yep, yeah, we lived there for two years. Nice, yeah, that's right Cameron. by the university. Yep, right there. Very cool, very cool. Now, I noticed you're wearing a Ryobi shirt. Uh, what's the story there? Uh, so that's, that's where I work now. Um, I'm, I'm an engineer for, for Ryobi Power Tools. Um, been, been doing that for a couple of years and I love it. 
So if you're if you're a Cubs fan, you're probably a huge Doug Glanville fan at some point in your life. Of course, yeah. My uh, <laughs> early baseball memories involve a certain triple in the playoffs or something. That I don't know. <laughs> uh, now, now you you were you were walking at that point, right? I mean, I'm not that old, right? I mean, how old were you then? <laughs> yeah, that was. Is that oh three? Is that right? Oh three, yeah. Yeah, so I was I was five years old. Oh yeah, that was that's good. <laughs> very beginning of my when I really got into baseball. He just heard Excellent. way too much talk about that triple. It comes up like twelve times a year. It's incredible. Yeah, that's uh, no. We need to put on loop. It's very important. <laughs> yeah, you're milking that thing, Glanville. Anyway, Adam, I think we actually have a shot at your question for a change. Um, but before we get to that, I do have one more question for you. It, it looks like about half of your tweets over the last year have been trivia questions for us. So I'm going to take that as an indication we're your favorite podcast in America. And Doug and I are obviously your two favorite people to follow on Twitter. You want to confirm that? Yeah, I don't I don't tweet, tweet much. So it's just for worthy causes, I guess. Yeah, appreciate it. Doesn't get any more worthy than stumping us with trivia. So, all right, listen, your your questions are always so good. Why don't you hit us with this one? All right. Can you name the three players with the most career home runs that have never hit 50 or more in a season? I think we can. <laughs> you know, I, I actually love this, Doug. I, I think it's obviously inspired by that Albert Pujols guy closing in on the 700 Homer Club. Uh, I actually feel like Albert is one of the answers. D Doug, did Albert ever hit 50? I don't think so. I don't think so. And uh, that's why I feel, you know, I always think of Albert Bell, you know, 50, wrong Albert. 50. Or, yeah, the wrong Albert. So therefore, by default or elimination, yeah, I think Albert Poulos, I don't recall him ever hitting 50. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, a lot of 40s, 30s, 40s. Right. right. So, I, I, yeah. I mean, I can't believe we can't remember for sure, but I, I do think Albert is one of these. I also know, like, a second one is Henry Aaron. Uh, that's a legendary trivia question. <laughs> I've been asked it many times. Uh, you know, most home runs without hitting more than 40, whatever, uh, Henry Aaron. So I think we actually have two of the three right off the bat in Pujols and Aaron. That never happens. So if we're right, that means we only need one more. Uh, the, the other guys in the 600 Homer Club have all hit 50, uh, right? Like Bonds. Ruth, A-Rod, Mays, uh, we know Sammy Sosa has, Jim Tomey hit 50, um, so that's the 600 number club. If we go into the high 500s, <laughs> obviously Mark McGuire hit way more than 50. I think that brings us to Frank Robinson. Now, I'm doing all of this from memory. Like, I, don't, I haven't looked at the the 500 Homer Club. I promise I didn't cheat, but I have spent a lot of time in my life, and especially recently because of Albert, looking at all these guys with 500 and 600 and 700 homers. If I remember right, Frank Robinson hit 586 and never hit 50. So he would be my third guess. But I know that you thought of this, Doug. Anyone you think we're missing? Well, I, I actually know someone definitively. I just that's why I asked the question about the ranking because Michael Jack Schmidt right. never hit fifty, yeah, right? Yeah. He hit forty-eight, 548. Or 40, yeah, right? So and Frank he, Robinson he never would have more than him. 
Right. So that's the that's the only you know, and I don't have any confidence on I don't know about Frank, but I know about Mike Schmidt. <laughs> so so I think we're you know, we're right there. You know, we've got three out of four, four out of three, you know. <laughs> Uh, but I don't know, Frank. I'll go with Frank because I, I just I don't know. Okay, how to refute that. All right. Now, see, our yeah. only worry here is, uh, like, if we were wrong Albert, about uh, Albert, Albert, then we yeah. would need to think about Schmidt. But I just yeah, like Schmidt the idea five. of guessing Aaron, Pujols, and Robinson. That's a great group. So you good with that, Doug? I'm good with it. Yeah, I, I, I'm good with that. And uh, worst case scenario, we have we listen to a Mike Schmidt audio tape <laughs> at the end of this trivia. <laughs> you enjoy that? Uh, all right, Adam. Is there any chance that we actually got this right? You sure did. Congratulations. Uh, <laughs> oh, my God. How about uh, that? Do you even remember the last time we got one right? Was it like January? Was it like yeah. 2000? Eight, like it yeah, feels. I like didn't it. have any gray hair. I had no gray hair in my head, so let's ask the mayor, uh, Mayor Tim. Do you have any idea when we last got one of these right? <laughs> well, we got the Vin Scully. Vin Scully. We got the Vin Scully. That was our last one with the El Presidente, El Perfecto. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Overall, since the season started, four for twenty, so two hundred. Back at the Mendoza line. Just like that. Yeah. But if we win four World Series out Wait, of twenty, you're you're golden. No, if we that's, were that's if we good. were four for twenty in the season, would get released. Well, unless <laughs> not all today. four not were today. homers. Not if you're OPS. Yeah, if <laughs> you're all homers, you are in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> right. You're in the Hall of Fame. Right then, it, launch angle would be in great yeah. shape. But so look, four for twenty. That's the bad news. You know what the good news is? We've reached the portion of the segment where the mayor Tim McMaster pops in. And plays another fabulous piece of play-by-play involving this week's answer. So I know Tim was scrambling to get this ready. Tim, what do you got for us? All right. We're going to go with Frank Robinson. Uh, originally, I wanted to get, so his he homered in game one of the 1966 World Series. Wow. 1966 is when he hit 49 homers. So that was his 50th home run of that season. I couldn't find that audio. I looked, I looked <laughs> so we're going with Frank Robinson's 500th career home run. Looks to check Powell at first. Delivers. Fly ball. Well hit. Deep left field. It is going to be the 500th home run of a brilliant major league career. Frank Robinson has done it. It's always fun to listen to Frank Robinson go deep, huh? We, that doesn't happen much anymore. <laughs> hey, Adam. Fun question, man. Thanks for being such a loyal listener, tweeter, and trivia contestant. So come back again, okay? All right. Thank you guys so much again for having me. Good work. Thanks, Adam. Keep, keep the engineering prod going. Man. I keep will. Going. <laughs> strange but true. Ah, I've been looking forward to this Strange But True segment all day. You'll find out why in a moment. <laughs> but Because, as is so often the case... There's more to this fun little tidbit than meets the eye. We have a special Glanville connection, you see, but we'll get to that. Uh, so it, since it's Reds Week, apparently here at uh, Starkville, this week's Strange But True involves a rookie for the Reds, Spencer Steer. I uh, made his Major League debut about a week ago, Doug, and his first career at bat was something we haven't seen much. It lasted 10 pitches. Let's hear a little taste of how it turned out. 
tenth pitch of the plate appearance. There's ball four. Spencer Steers' debut begins with a walk. And that's just a great at bat right there. I think the biggest thing for a, a debut is harnessing emotions, and he looked like he did a very nice job of doing just that. I thought he looked calm. Yes. I agree with Barry Larkin. That's a great job right there. <laughs> so, so how about that? In the first trip to the plate of this guy's career, he worked a 10-pitch walk. And, Doug, I know you're thinking, how often does that happen? That about right? Uh, yeah, I, I always go with zero to be safe. Maybe negative <laughs> no, one sometimes. No, it does happen. But um, I, I didn't look this up myself. Uh, our friend Joel Luckhopt, who comes up with lots of great stats on the Reds, told me that Spencer Steer was the first player to see at least 10 pitches in his first career plate appearance and reach base since, are you ready? This guy was a pitcher. <laughs> Cole Irvin somehow drew a 10-pitch walk for the Phillies. This was back on May 17th, 2019. And um, I, I just want to fill you in now. Spencer Steer went on to have an amazing first game in the big leagues. He reached base four times. He scored the winning run on a walk-off. And it is a first official at bat. So this is the trip to the plate after the walk. He hit a home run. And so you should know, too, Doug, that's the first home run ever by a steer. So I looked up home runs by bulls, like Greg the Bull Lazinski. Looked that up. I looked up home runs by cows. Colin Cowgill came to mind. And then I decided I would draw the line and not look up Mookies. Is that, is oh, that yeah, okay? Mookie. Yeah, I mean, well, you know, Adnan Verk and I used to talk about Mookie Betts is, uh, you know, we did the old Johnny Carson thing. Mookie Betts <laughs> is when a cow tries to check into a hotel at Vegas. That's how we did it. So, right. you know, yeah. Exactly right. But we digress because I, I want to get to the strange but true part of this. I looked up the career of a former big leaguer named Doug Glanville. And our man Glanville... He played nine seasons in the big leagues, right? Mm -hmm. He came to yeah. the plate more than 4,000 times. Am I right? <laughs> yeah, it was a lot of times. <laughs> so how many times did that Doug Glanville draw a walk in an at-bat that lasted 10 pitchers or more? I told yeah, you, you almost don't need. Yeah, you almost don't need the comma. You can just stop how many times did he draw a walk and just stop there. But <laughs> yes. 10 pitches, I, I don't even know. Okay, let's say the, Not a lot. The answer is exactly <laughs> once. So Spencer Ooh. Steer did it in his very <laughs> first trip to the plate. Glanville, 4,000 trips to the plate once. <laughs> Doug, what do you have to say for yourself? Yeah, well, I'm curious how many times Steer will do that going forward, see if it's something <laughs> anomaly. Yeah. No, no, no. What do you uh, have to say for yourself? Well, oh, well, I mean, look, here's the thing. Like, first of all, uh, I, I see it as a skill to not foul balls off. I mean, you know, so that's the thing. You, you have to foul some stuff off. Oh, yeah. So if you have a skill of hitting it into play, there, there's got to be some bonus. It's not my <laughs> fault that I didn't know how to foul a ball off. I, I didn't. I, the, the bat angle always put the ball between the white lines, which can be very bad when you're not playing well. But, you know, so I, you know, then I think it's like walking, you know, it, it's not that exciting. First of all, if your name is Spencer Steer, you should not have to walk in life. All right. You either drive a car since you're steering or you ride cattle from home to first base. That would be honoring your name. 
That's that's the that's how you would honor your name. So I'm disappointed he decided to walk to first base, which is unexciting, very boring. Live up to your name, man. He, he steered yeah, himself right to first base. Yeah, um, he, first, you got to be a country singer. Too. Yeah, well, Cole Irvin, right? Cole Irwin, Irvin, and Irvin and Spencer Steer. That's that's a that's a duo on the country music circuit, right there. It really there. is. So it let's just really, let's just call it what it, it is. It really should be. And um, at, at, at some point, um, let's see. Should we get uh, Miranda Lambert to Lambert to, to sing yeah. with them? It'd be beautiful. It really would. Yeah, lambs. Yeah, yep, I like it. All right, look, we're, we're getting way far afield here because I'm just reaching the fun part. Do you remember your only ten pitch walk? Hmm. <laughs> wow. Um, was it against the Mets? Maybe no. Not, no. Okay. That's not no. Right. I don't think I do actually. All right. I'm gonna, all right let me refresh your memory. <laughs> it was okay. August sixth, two thousand four. So this Ooh, was, was one of the last games of your career. You'd already been to the plate four thousand times before mm. you did this <laughs> once. Okay. So Kaz Ishii. Was the pitcher? Oh, you yeah. led off the top of the second inning at Dodger Dodgers. Stadium, and mm. I'll tell you what. Thanks to Baseball Reference, I can actually run through the at bat with you. You want to hear this? Hmm. Yeah. Right. What happened? Ball one called strike. So some for some reason you took two pitches in a row. Mm. Then you took a wow. third. So it's two. Oh my gosh! And one. I've been sick. I've right. been now, sick. Now here we go. Foul. Foul. Mm. Foul. Mm. Foul. Ball yeah. three. Whoa. Another foul. What's that? That's Whoa. five fouls, right? Followed wow, by bad day. ball four. You remember any of what? this? I thought I hit a home run, but yeah, ball four. Wow. Remember any a good curveball? No, I remember. Well, the thing about him is I, I hit him. He was a guy that was very frustrating because I hit him hard and I always lined out to somebody. Yeah, yeah. Uh, likely It's one of the few times I had to throw my helmet down the corridor at Veterans Stadium because I was like, I keep hitting this guy hard and they're, they're just everywhere. Now, of course, today with the shift, that would have been more true. But uh, I don't know. Did I ever get a hit off that guy? I mean, it's just, I don't I, know what the numbers are. I, I didn't look that part up. I'm, I'm going to yeah. try to jog your memory about mm -hmm. this game, though, because I, I think mm. you remember the game. Here's what happened next. Marlon Bird hit a home mm. run. Hmm. So it was a two-run wow. homer. You got to score. And you guys wound up winning this game in hmm. the 11th inning. You had a what? huge rally in the 11th off the Cy Young hmm. winner, Eric Gagne. Do you remember what? any of that? He gave up more runs in that inning than he'd given up the whole previous season. You don't remember what? any of this? I remember the floating head that, you know, when he... <laughs> When they no. when you'd come in, the Dodgers scoreboard had this like creepy You're floating head. You're changing the subject. Of it. Good. You don't remember uh, any of this. I, I I know I got a bunt hit off him and a base hit off his curveball, but I no, don't know if it was that. You game, struck you know. out in that inning, but uh, forget it. Sometimes I, I think I remember more about your career than you do. Why would that be? Yeah, you know, you, selective memory. That's very important <laughs> in this game. You have to pick your memories. I just I just pointed out a career <laughs> highlight, something you did one time. You don't have any memory of it at all. My well, God. Walk, walk, walks were disappointments. They were disappointments. I, I wanted to <laughs> put the bat on the ball. Okay. That's going to do it for this week's show. We'll be bringing you podcast magic just like this all season long on the Athletic Baseball Show, which is available in its entirety, absolutely free, everywhere you get your podcasts. If you'd like to read any of the spectacular writing in The Athletic, we can also tell you how to do that. 
if you go to theathletic.com slash baseball show. And if you're a new subscriber, you still have access to our greatest special, $1 a month for the next six months. But also remember, you too can be part of this podcast, just like Adam Kane was a little while ago. Every show, we pick some fun listener trivia question. Then that listener gets to join us right here on the pod to prove once again that there's almost no baseball trivia question we can't get wrong, despite what just happened this week. So to do that, how could you contact us with your trivia? You could always email us at Starkville at theathletic.com, or you can hit us with your questions on Twitter. So if somebody was looking for Doug Glanville on Twitter, is that even possible? It is. It is. You can find me. Do a search if you feel like it, but that's too much work. Just go at Doug Glanville, D-O-U-G-G-L-A-N-V-I-L-L-E. That's it. Excellent spelling every week from Glanville. You don't even have to spell my whole name. It's at Jason, S-T-J-A-O-I-S-O-N-S-T. Two things. Please hashtag the questions. Hashtag Starkville QS. That's one. Number two, when other people ask trivia of us, do not answer those questions on the Twitter machine, okay? It just ruins the whole concept. So, Doug, thanks for playing. Thanks to Joey Vado for joining us. Thanks to Adam Kane for the great trivia question. Thanks to the mayor of Starkville, Tim McMaster, for producing us and putting up with us. And thanks to you all for listening. Tomorrow it is Roundtable Day here on the Athletic Baseball Show. And Doug and I will see you next Tuesday on Starkville. Starkville. Almost. <laughs>